0: Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast. This is a weekly interview show that is all about art, craft, and creativity. I produce it in the hope that it will help all of us live long and crafty lives. So let's get to it, folks. It's time to Craft Sanity. I once again kind of fell off the horse there. Our house has been a virtual sick bay for the last couple of weeks. Somehow I was miraculously still able to run that 25K I've been training for. That went pretty well, but you'll hear more about that later. Today I want to focus your attention on my interview with Jennifer Stafford, the Dominitrix. Jennifer is a wonderful storyteller. The cool part about this is you know, I wasn't really sure what to expect. I mean, someone calls themselves the Dominitrix, and I get this book in the mail that has a faux leather cover. The the book's called Dominitrix, Whip Your Knitting Into Shape. You know, it's so much fun. I did get some weird looks when I brought this to work and had it sitting on my desk. People who didn't, you know, just walking past, I think, got the totally wrong idea. Anyway, uh, I had the pleasure of talking with Jennifer, and the cool part about this interview is that we went off-road. Jennifer's, as I mentioned, a great storyteller, and I just kind of let her go where she wanted to lead me. And you're not going to find out how she became the dominatrix until, oh, I'd say about halfway through the interview. But that's fine because there's some really interesting stories that she tells before we even get to that point. Well, I'm going to let Jennifer tell her story, but I'll just give you a little overview here. Jennifer Stafford is 37. She lives in San Francisco she has been sewing since she was a little kid and started knitting in 1979. She became the dominatrix in 2004. Jennifer's kind of in the same boat as a lot of us who do these artsy, crafty things on the side in addition to our day jobs. Jennifer works at an internet media company. I've took long enough to get to this interview, so Jennifer, thank you so much for hanging with me. I appreciate that and hope you all enjoy this. So have you been in San Francisco your entire life?
1: I grew up in the Bay Area, and I've been um, living in the city since 94, when uh, I returned from a couple years traveling abroad. And uh, I had met the love of my life over there, Um, although funnily enough, he's also from the Bay Area.
0: Oh, that's so, funny! So you travel the world and to meet someone who lives right yeah. by. You. Well, is that what that means? Because I wanted to ask you. Um, oh, yes, yeah, this is that's what it says in the dedication. Yeah, because I, I am a, a, a detail person, so I hone in on like little little things like that. Um, but I think the dedications and um, you know the uh, prefaces to books are sometimes you know really key to um, yeah. getting a window, kind of a window into somebody's life a little bit. Yeah, so, and it's funny because when I had you know after that all went
1: to press and everything, it was like, oh my god, my dedication is so long and wordy and you know and I'm and I'm reading everybody else's dedications and they're all like five words and I'm like yeah
0: oh. but you know <laughs> what this dedication I think racks because it's more than just to my husband, to my brother, to my sister, to my mom and dad, you know, to yeah, my blah, 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 yeah. and to my dog. And then <laughs> you go on, yeah. you know, I mean, this one is, there's a little bit of a story there. So I hope we'll, we'll kind of swing back to that, but remind me in case I forget that um, sure. that I want to talk about that. Um, so I thought the best place to start is at the beginning. Well, how did you get started in this whole, you know, artsy, crafty business here i mean because i know you it sounds like in your book you say that you've been sewing since you were very small and then you started knitting in 1979 but you can kind of tell me like your history as an you know artist and crafter
1: well the um the women in my family have always had a history of you know making stuff for their family more out of the need for you know practicality the need to clothe the children and whatnot (laughs) the need to have a rug on the floor and you know my uh My grandmothers, both of them, were very crafty types, and my mom had always uh, done a lot of sewing, and I remember seeing, um, you know, in the 70s, she used to wear the most, you know, what I thought were the most beautiful dresses, you know, and of course, it it was the 70s, so you know, these look not unlike things we would find in Stitchy Pants' book. <laughs> but uh, but I thought they were just the most gorgeous things, you know, and I always really admired her ability for putting together, you know, fabrics and unusual combinations and making things for herself. And, you know, and so I would kind of sit there and play along with little scraps and materials and and uh, try to put together things of my own. And so I think uh, if you've, have you had a chance to read the book?
0: Yes, I have, yeah, and I, I love so, it.
1: Yeah. You probably read the little bit about um, – or we talked about that first lesson where she uh, – <laughs> where I made my little, you know, little T-shirt for my teddy bear. And, yes. Uh, you know, she stood by and watched me cut out the T-shirt without allowing any seam allowances, <laughs> and, you know, uh, let me learn that lesson the hard way. Of course, the only reason I remember it now is because she's told me the story, but, you know, but the lesson stuck, obviously.
0: Right, right.
1: <laughs> but then we get into knitting. We don't need seam allowances so much, you know. But, yeah. Uh, but for years, I just, uh, so when I was about, I think it was probably also when I was around nine, my, um, my mom acquired a sewing machine for me from, <laughs> from a man who had just divorced his wife and was just trying to sell all of her belongings <laughs> as quickly as possible before she figured out So what he was that.
0: purging all this stuff. Yeah.
1: So, so my mom got this, you know, this old, oh gosh, I don't know, thing must, must, must weigh 50 pounds, you know, and, uh the the case wouldn't even stay on it, you know, and I had, uh, you know, my mom was the absentee parent, so she was in L.A., and my dad is in the Bay Area, and so I'm down there on, a, you know, a holiday visit, and, <laughs> um, you know, she gives me this big sewing machine, I'm like, well, of course I have to bring it home with me, so here I am, you know, a little nine-year-old lugging this massive thing or sewing machine, you know how heavy those old ones are. Oh, like
0: yeah. You know,
1: built, like, really solid, and... Uh, <laughs> we had to put a belt on, around the case to keep, the, you know, to keep it on so we could actually get it you know, through the airport.
0: Oh, my goodness. And so never, you were traveling alone with a 50-pound with a sewing machine? Yeah, well, with my little brother, okay. who,
1: who was even, you know, less able to carry <laughs>
0: so it. So like, dragging it by a belt?
1: <laughs> <laughs> but luckily, that was in the, you know, I, I uh, don't know if it's still like this, but, you know, uh, unaccompanied minors used to get a lot of attention.
0: Okay, so you um, had people to hold your sewing machine for Yeah, before, and yeah. And they
1: would, like, hold your hand, and they put us on the plane first and everything, so... Uh, the machine made it home without incident. And and then, of course, I needed fabric. So of course. So I just started kind of, well, what can I use? And, uh, you know, my dad had recently, like, worn out some, you know, he had some sheets that he was chucking. I'm like, well, let me play around with that stuff. And so I had, uh, you know, so some of my first efforts really didn't involve working with patterns at all, but just kind of like cutting up fabric and putting it together and seeing how it, you know, seeing what would happen. So I ended up with these, like, really um, funny. I remember a set of green satin sheets. Remember, it was the 70s. And, <laughs> and there were some really hideous, like, uh, she, uh, curtains, you know, these sheer lace curtains.
0: Oh, that, yes. Mm-hmm. You know, we're in the
1: house. We moved in, and he pulled them down because, you know, single dad, who wants a lacy curtain?
0: Yeah. Right. That sounds like the most manly type of decor, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> so I would cut up the, you know, I'm cutting up the lace curtains and laying them over the green satin to try to make myself this little princess dress and you know i don't i think i gave up somewhere around the second sleeve <laughs> <laughs> i was just so frustrated and also keep in mind you know i had just inherited the sewing machine and anytime you acquire a used sewing machine you really need to take it to the shop and get it all
0: tuned exactly out. so
1: the machine was being really uncooperative and um you know spewing out like go you know going through tons of thread and <laughs> thread was bunching behind the needle i was just generally getting really frustrated and my dad wasn't um really the best, the best <laughs> help for that. But, um, but eventually, you know, he took a look at it and he's like, you know, let's take this thing to the shop, you know. And, and after that, uh, you know, then well, having, having the right tools for the job makes all the difference.
0: Right, you know? of course. And,
1: uh, and so, you know, then I was happily sewing on my way and he kind of Agreed that maybe I should have some proper material as opposed to using you know <laughs> whatever
0: you can find around the
1: house. Yeah, exactly. And uh, well, you know, because it was only a matter of time before I started cutting up his clothes. Exactly. I right?
0: <laughs> was like, okay, from it's probably my best interest to get this young lady. Yeah, no, some that clothes. came later. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and
1: uh, you know, and I just I just really enjoyed kind of like just trying stuff out, you know. And then I started working with patterns a little bit. And one of my, one of the first things that I really made was a. Um, a set of knickers.
0: A set of knickers.
1: <laughs> Did you wear? Funny, because knickers kind of recently had a had a little renaissance, and I was like. You know, yeah. I'm like, I was making knickers well, I, whatever was that. I shouldn't me.
0: laugh about knickers because I distinctly remember um, a sixth grade, maybe fifth or sixth grade um, when my mom got matching knickers <laughs> from my sister and I. And looking back, I mean, I'm kind of horrified you because know, I also had like this kind of mullet haircut at the time too. <laughs> I mean, it was just an uh, kind of an extremely awkward phase in my life. It was kind of when all the girls were wearing their hair like bangs back all the way to the back of your head pretty much. Yeah. So you had like this like look like a little sheep going around. And <laughs> then <laughs> he had long hair in the back. I had like a Billy Ray Cyrus haircut. You know, one of oh. his when he first made achy Breaky art. Oh. <laughs> when I saw him I was like, Oh my God, I used to look like that <laughs> But yeah, so yeah. I the knicker phase I, I had one of those too. So. Yeah,
1: and they were what were they? Um it was like a purple corduroy Okay. that I was working with. And this is before I had – well, that, that was actually the project where I learned about, you know, needing to go with the grain of the fabric. Oh, Because, yeah. you know, when you're doing pants, mm-hmm. you know how the crotch lays out on the fabric, and you can kind of go, oh, gee, well, I could fit more – I could make better use of the fabric if I put one of the pieces upside down. <laughs> right. And so I had done that, and, and so when you looked at the pants from the side, you could see – you know the the front looked darker than the back because of the different grain of the
0: Oh yeah, yeah yeah so you know they didn't get <laughs> worn much and <laughs> But it's still quite an accomplishment how old were you when you made your knickers Um
1: you know I think that was that was junior high so I would yeah. guess that was about 7th grade yeah Yeah and um you know and I, it was just at the point where I was kind of like waking up to fashion and you know, picking up Seventeen magazine and uh, just, just starting to kind of become aware of, you know, the world of what is cool. And what right. Is and, uh, and of course, let's remember that at the time what fashion was doing was really not very cool at all. No,
0: but we all <laughs> thought we had to kind of, you know, yeah. take part in that. Well, that's yeah. the thing about fashion. What's <laughs> right. it now, you know? whether right.
1: No matter how ridiculous it might look through the lens of time. <laughs> right. You know? So right. I had... Um, you know, so the knickers were kind of not the best thing, but then I kind of moved on and and uh, started making more, you know, just different kinds of stuff. And there was a point where um, my, my mom had access to, um, she worked in a print studio uh, doing, you know, uh, lithography kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And one of the neighboring shops was uh, like a sweatshop. And they had all these kind of fabric scraps that they would just kind of chuck in the bin at the end of the day. And my mom, being a thrifty lady and, you know, not one to pass up free yardage, you know, <laughs> would kind of go fishing through to see if there was anything that was worth keeping. And so I ended up, uh, you know, so then when I would go on my visits to um, to see her on the holidays, we'd see, you know, she I would have access to, you know, her stash of stuff that she'd had, you know, through for decades, and um, as well as these new things that she'd found. And I just kind of kept putting stuff together and, you know, trying to make new things, and most of the stuff I made, I would say, through, pretty much through most of high school, pretty much totally unwearable, Um, but then I kind of reached a point where, you know, I got the straight skirt down, and I was really pleased with myself, you know, I made this little gray pinstripe straight skirt, and it fit me, and it actually looked like it might have come from a store.
0: (laughs) That's always the coolest part, if you can, you know, make something and no one knows that you made it. yeah.
1: And I, and I, and that was kind of when
0: I was like, hey, maybe you know,
1: maybe I can make stuff that's not embarrassing, and <laughs> and uh, so there was, uh, so then I just made a lot of straight skirts, you know, and pretty much had that down, and and, uh, and then it was the '80s, so then of course we started moving into like tiered, ruffled stuff,
0: right? Fun right. to do,
1: but uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so, and then I kind of escaped the. Um, I think it was um, around the time I moved into college that I kind of broke out of the skirt mold and started making tops and other things and um, and I just kind of you know I just kind of go down to the local fabric store and just pick up what looks good and, and just kind of throw stuff together a lot of this I would do not so much um, not so much with patterns but by taking clothes I had that fit me well that I where I liked you know the neckline or whatever and I would just kind of lay that down on the floor, remembering the same allowance lesson, right, right. <laughs> and, you know, just cut stuff out and put stuff together, and, and, uh, you know, I ended up with quite a few things where, oh, the neckline was just a little too gapey, or a little too low, or whatever, but, you know, like so many others, I was doing the, uh, I was doing the kind of goth thing in college, wearing a lot of, uh, a lot of black lace, and a lot of, um, just a lot of lingerie <laughs> on top, <laughs> and stuff like that, and, uh, Uh, really having a lot of fun just putting stuff together.
0: Yeah, and uh, so people probably weren't as concerned with... um, You were probably the only one to realize that the neckline was off from where you wanted it to be.
1: Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Because I knew what I meant to do, but nobody else knew. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, that's cool. uh, So where did you actually end up in college? Where'd you go? I went to UC Santa Barbara. Okay.
1: Which was... uh, Which is a beautiful, beautiful place to spend any amount of time in that area. It's just so gorgeous there; It's very warm. And... uh, (laughs) But... It was uh, probably the first time I had ever lived in Southern California for a long period of time. So I'd always been a Bay Area girl, and so it was interesting to kind of go, to, um, go off to college with all these, in, you know, because it was a Southern California school, most of my classmates were from SoCal as well. Yeah. And uh, so it was kind of like a little bit of a culture shock for me. And, you know, after the first year, I was like, oh, i got to get out of here. I'm going to transfer, you know, and I, I really, really meant to transfer up to uh, Santa Cruz, actually. Um, and if I had done that, I might have met my husband sooner.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah? That's funny. <laughs>
1: but uh, but I ended up kind of sticking it out, and uh, I ended up, you know, falling in love with someone there, and that kept me there. And, you know, the next thing you know, I'm finishing school five years later, and uh, in the meantime, I had been doing, I don't know, still a lot of sewing, um, occasionally picking up the needle, but, but um, it was really more about sewing at that time, because I, I could crank out a skirt in a half hour, you know, and, and i wasn't really one to go
0: out and shop for that skirt. <laughs> you just wanted to have something to wear, so you make yeah. it? Yeah. Well, not
1: only that, but I'm a little bit... Um, I don't always fit the standard sizing. You know, I'm... I'm uh, all my limbs are an inch longer. And so I have been... I'm one of those people where, I, you know, I was wearing floods for... I don't know, the first decade of my life, (laughs) you know, and gosh, I think, I think I'd been hearing the, are you expecting a flood joke for probably a year before I finally got it? Oh boy. Yeah. It's about the pants. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, there was a time when my mom had done the, uh, well, those pants are, you know, you've grown out of those pants, honey. So let's, Let's put some uh, trims on the bottom, right? <laughs> oh no! <laughs> this is what, like 1982 <laughs> or something like that. And, and I'm looking through her pile of trims, many of which are kind of like brightly colored, like remnants, you know, remnants. So it's of like 70s. attracting attention
0: to the fact that your pants are shorter. Yeah, than exactly. And oh, I'm like, goodness. well, I don't know
1: about all these bright laces, but how about this? Uh, how about this black satin ribbon? Because she had, uh, you know, one of the. Um, treasure troves that she'd found was a bunch of ribbon and um, elastic laces and stuff from uh, lingerie factory. Oh yeah. So mm-hmm. there's this beautiful heavy satin black ribbon. So I'm like okay we'll put that on my jeans. Well I was still ridiculed even if it was black satin ribbon. <laughs> 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 but, uh, but this is kind of what got me in the habit of making my own stuff. Yeah. You know? uh, because I was um, I was just kind of like well if at least if I make my own stuff I can make it long enough and, um, and that's kind of how I don't know I guess one of the reasons I really was motivated to want to make my own stuff and uh, did that for I don't know for many years and in fact for so long I was making so many of my clothes that when um when it came time to um, start establishing the sizing for my you know for my book and stuff I my uh the dressmaker I was working with on establishing the the fit pointed out to me that I wasn't normal <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, like, other people would buy the book, and if they're not as tall, they would be like, well, oh, yeah, Ooh, these this is a little a little long. But yeah. you know what? It Turn the tables, right? <laughs> let, yeah, let other exactly. people experience it. <laughs>
1: yeah, so it was uh, – but it was good that she pointed that out to me so I didn't just, you know, go establish the sizing purely based on, you know, my own body.
0: Right, but, right. Uh,
1: you know, but I think that it was really that not being able to find – you know, not being able to find stuff that fit and also just wanting something that was a little different, you know, because I was that – you know, my uh, my father really raised me with the notion that uh, he used to say, Jennifer, if you just accept now that you're weird and and that you're not like everybody else, you'll be much happier as you go through life. And if you uh, <laughs> just felt like you know we were different, and uh, I. I guess I internalized that from such a young age that you know I always wanted my stuff to be a little different,
0: you know. And you I you kind of embrace that whole thing, yeah, yeah. yeah and I
1: didn't, uh, and I didn't want to look like every other kid, but at the same time, I also didn't want to look like all the other kids who weren't conforming, you know. Right, right. Because it sounds like you know, I noticed that we all are kind of doing something different, but in the very same way. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, so I always really strove to kind of like do my own thing. So if it was, you know, something that was the cool thing, yeah, sure, that's fine. But if it was something that was, oh, you know, that's what, that's so trendy, that's what everyone's doing. Well, if I liked it, I would still embrace it, you know. And I thought it was, you know, just kind of important to do your own thing, whatever your style is, rather than, you know, thinking that you have to, you know, do just what's in the magazines or whatever like that,
0: you know. Well, and the fact that you were skilled at sewing probably really helped you with that because you didn't have to just go into the department store and, like, get the same shirt that every girl in your class is wearing, you know? So that yeah. must be kind of fun, too.
1: Yeah, well, not until high school. <laughs> yeah, well, oh, I, yeah, because you said they were unwearable before that. Well, no, no. Well, that, and I, I went to a Catholic uh, high school. Oh,
0: okay. So you can't. And,
1: yeah, so I went from you know, having complete control over, you know, wearing whatever the heck I wanted to school, because I'd been to public school all through uh, junior high, and then um, I started going to Catholic school, and oh, now there's a uniform.
0: <laughs> so how did you get around
1: that? Well, you know, it was uniform, Um, so I was pretty much uh, uh, compliant, as it were. The school had, um, every month, they had a free dress day, and so on the free dress day, you could, you know, within certain parameters, you know, so like certain skimpy things weren't permitted, jeans weren't permitted, tennis shoes weren't permitted, but, you know, within those parameters, you could wear whatever you wanted, right, you know, so the skirt still had to be of a certain length. And things
0: like so, that. what would you show up in on a free day in high school?
1: Well, <laughs> <that was> my
0: <laughs>
1: one of the outfits that uh, okay, gosh, this was senior year. One of the outfits that I was actually photographed in in, uh, in a yearbook on free dress day. I just I laugh when I see it now. Uh, there were a pair of leggings that I had. You know, they were black, your standard black leggings. Okay, right? yeah. It's, uh, no, it's 1987, and I had. Um, I had accidentally splashed them with a bit of bleach in this one particular spot, um, and it had left kind of a you know a brown mark where the uh, <laughs> where the bleach had splashed. But this is like my favorite, best-fitting pair of leggings. I'm like, well, I can't just let that be. So I decided to make it look intentional. So. I took the, you know, uh, this was a you know, a spray bottle of like Tilex or whatever that I had made the mistake with. Yeah. So then I just took the bottle and I just kind of like randomly spritzed all over the pants <laughs> with the bleach. And okay. then, you know, I let it sit for a little while and I um you know, and then I rinsed it out and everything and so it basically had these kind of like spritz bars <laughs> all over these pants. <laughs> and then I had paired this with so I was wearing these on the bottom, right? And I had paired it with a red, uh, like a vintage red jacket that I had gotten. That had a really um, cute, it was actually rabbit, but it had been, it, the collar had been dyed to look like uh, leopard. Okay. Right? So it was this little, like, red wool jacket, kind of short, little bracelet sleeve um, with this leopard uh, collar that was super cute. That was, like, one of the less embarrassing outfits I wore on
0: pre <laughs> and that one's <laughs> documented for all of prosperity in that yearbook yeah that's, that's right yeah that's right. well that's yeah. you know that's fun looking back though um, yeah because I have some real winning photographs <laughs> too <laughs> Not so much the DIY thing i, was, I wasn 't really wearing a whole lot of stuff I was making, but I was I was wearing just some messed up stuff yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah. but so in college were you stu- did you study something in the arts, or what did you what did you major in in college
1: uh, i studied i ended up um, my degree is in sociology okay yeah, although when i had um, when I had first gone there, I had intended to pursue a medical degree and Okay. to be pre med and I just um, you know, the math, the science, I just never I never thought I was going to have to work that hard. It's not that I wasn't, I don't know, I suppose, well, let me put it this way. I think that people who pursue the medical profession often, in the beginning, are people who care about people and want to take care of others, and that's why they get into it. And then they get hit with this onslaught of math and science, you know, for year after year after year, and I think that that one thing that happens is people whose primary goal is about, you know, taking care of people, they tend to kind of fall out of it, um, at least that's what happened for me, because I, I just kind of, I wasn't having fun. Yeah, you know?
0: that is a lot like, of math and science.
1: I'm not enjoying this, you know, and it's not to say that, you know, you know, I'm not over here saying math is hard, I think math is really important, but it just wasn't, um, I wasn't really that interested in the chemistry and the OCHEM and the... Uh, I was very interested in the anatomy, mm-hmm. <laughs> and one of the classes I enjoyed most uh, was there's one undergrad class at UCSB where you can study um, actual cadavers. <laughs> it was like a zoology class where you actually, you know, to learn all the musculature of the human body and everything. And we uh, we studied. We didn't actually dissect, of course. The so, you know the it, TAs did that, but you know we learned so much from the human body, and it was I was just really fascinated by the. Uh, anatomy and physiology and all that, but, you know, but beyond that, I was really not, just not interested enough to kind of continue and pursue it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so I spent a little bit of time kind of fumbling around, trying to figure out, you know, how I was going to reorient myself, and I'll admit that I ended up uh, selecting sociology because it was, you know, here I was in my third year having completed most of the, you know, basic, you know, prereqs you have to do for everything. Right. Kind of going, how can I, okay, how can I get out of here in a couple of years With without, a degree. <laughs> yeah. you know, having to take too much uh, extra stuff. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so I ended up choosing sociology and,
0: uh, yay, I finished it. <laughs> and then what, did you get a job in sociology right after that or what did you no, do? No, not at all. I had, um, well, for
1: some, for some crazy reason, I had gotten it in my head that I was going to take a, a big trip to Europe when I finished school. And, uh, you know, and my family has, you know, my, my father's mother has was an incredible world traveler, and she had uh, a tradition that she would take her, her, each grandchild on a special trip to a foreign country when they reached a certain age. And so when I had been 10, my grandmother took me to visit uh, the Galapagos Islands and Peru in Ecuador. And sadly, we were supposed to also go to the Amazon, but that got canceled. And so I already had had this kind of childhood wanderlust, you know, and really had enjoyed uh, exploring other places. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, you know, I'm finishing school. Let's see if I can do some traveling. And, um, and somewhere along the way, my, uh, my, my, that same grandmother had been very generous in helping me out with uh, a lot of my college expenses. And somewhere along the way, I remember that she'd mentioned that she was saving for my medical school. <laughs> now, mind you, I decided in whatever year two that I was absolutely not going to be doing medical school. Yeah. But uh, I thought, hmm, I wonder if there was any money there for that. <laughs> so I, uh, so I called her up one day and you know talked to her about the impending graduation and you know what was I going to do next and. I told her I was thinking about taking this trip to Europe, and um, she said, you know, I have some money set aside for you. Why don't you let me send that to you so you can have your trip to Europe? And um, just a week later, I get this big fat check in the mail, which just, whoa, totally blew my mind that, um, you know, that someone would be so generous and so selfless to just say, you know, hey, here's money I was saving for your medical career, and since you're not doing that, let's still give it to you. <laughs> so I was, uh, you know, I was ecstatic, of course, because now here I was able to take the trip of my dreams. Mm-hmm. So I, um, so this was what, 90, 92, it's fall of 92. And um, so I closed all my accounts, sold a bunch of my stuff, some awesome clothes I still regret. <laughs> um, you know, but I didn't, but I knew that everything was going to have to go into storage at my parents' place and up in the attic and I wanted to minimize the burden.
0: You right, know? right. So
1: I sold off everything I could. I left a couple of precious things with um, with friends who didn't um, take very good care of them. Oh, no. I had, a, I had a motorcycle at that time I didn't come back to and a piece of furniture that, you know, got waylaid. But... All in all,
0: <laughs> sold it, <laughs>
1: put everything in storage, and bought a one-way ticket to Europe. And, uh, you know, a year real pass that was going to be good for, I think, a, a couple of months. I had got one of the, you know, one of the passes that gave me a lot of uh, train-riding privilege. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so from about the middle of September that year um, through... February, I was just, you know, kind of traveling, just doing whatever I wanted. <laughs> just me, all by myself. And uh, I just loved it, you know. I just loved being out there and meeting new people and having new experiences and seeing new places. And um, I had, shortly before I uh, left college, I developed kind of a fascination with the Art Nouveau um, arts and decorative arts from the period around the turn of the century and so I, ma- I had made up a little list. I went down to the arts library at school and made a list of all these beautiful things I wanted to see and what museums they were in and, uh, <laughs> and so that was, you know, I didn't have very much unifying my trip, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't really have a, an itinerary. I kind of like, you know, went wherever I felt like going next or if I met somebody cool and they were going to you know, Brussels, I went to Brussels and <laughs> <laughs> But you know, the, but the only thing I really had that was kind of tying the trip together at all is I had this list of museums I wanted to check out, so I could go and see, you know the, um, you know the posters of Alphonse Mucha, and uh, to see these beautiful, um, uh, like decorative arts, like uh, furniture and parlors and things that are um, just so ornate and beautiful and curvy and flowing. I just love that style and. Uh, so there were certain cities that I went to just because I knew <laughs> there was a museum in that town that I want to see. And uh, so it was probably the closest thing to uh, you know unifying <laughs> message of the trip was, you know, go and see this art, which, of course, um, naturally led me to Prague um, because Prague is a very... Uh, there is a, a very rich legacy of uh, Art Nouveau that's still there. Um, you know facades on buildings mm-hmm. and uh, murals inside of uh, salons and stuff like that and just a lot of beautiful stuff. And it also happened that people from my university um, had gone the year before and established an English-speaking pa- paper in Prague. And so I thought that I would go there and get a job working for the paper. <laughs> 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 a naive thought, but, you know, seemed like a good idea at the time. And uh, and it was what got me to Prague, you know.
0: Yeah, did you try to do that, though? I mean, did you write anything for them? Or
1: Well, I pretty much went down, you know, it was actually probably the first week I was there. I, I took a train down to that office uh, of this paper and kind of went in there and, you know, said, hey, I know Joel Brand, and <laughs> who was one of their big reporters. And, you know, and, and I guess I had kind of thought that was just going to open a door for me and they were going to be like, oh, yeah, why don't you write us some stories? <laughs> uh, which was just really, really naive because apparently, you know, this was... Uh, that What was it? 92. And it was apparently a pretty hot idea to go to Prague at that time for, uh, for Americans. And uh, so I was probably the you know, fifth or sixth person who'd walked through the door that month asking the same question. And they just kind of shooed me away. <laughs> and uh, I was like, wow, what am I going to do now? And, uh, you know, so it's kind of funny. I, I eventually kind of found myself uh, relatively down and out in Prague. <laughs> Yeah, but if you got to be broke somewhere, <laughs> don't, don't you want it to be someplace where you can eat your dinner for a buck?
0: Yeah, hey, that helps. Yeah, I'm sure that helps. Yeah. You know, it makes a dollar go a little farther there. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: it really does. And I had some, uh, and I had some probably about a month where um, where I literally was sponging off the Hare Krishna. Oh wow! <laughs> they had a um, they had one of those restaurants where you know it was like a you know fr- donation. To eat, you know, and so I would just not make a donation, or I would make a very small donation. But since they opened at noon and they closed at six, you know, <laughs> there was lunch, there was dinner, yeah, and you know, and, and it was all vegetarian, but it was pretty good food, and and uh, you know that kind of kept me going for a while, and and then you know, meanwhile my bank account is dwindling and dwindling, and um, I'm like, well, what am I going to do here? I can't really afford rent, and, um, you know, but meanwhile I'm going around to all of the kind of local um, coffee shop and bar and hootenanny scene, right, because there's a huge American expat scene in Prague at this time, a lot of uh, painters and artists and writers, a ton of writers, and, you know, it was like, you know, like Paris in the 90s, right, kind right, of thing, right. where there were all these people thinking, I'm going to make this expat lifestyle, and, and um, there was some really, uh, there was a really fun poetry reading that used to happen every week. That was kind of the, uh, the unifying social event for the American English-speaking expat scene, and I'd been really enjoying going to those events. And, uh, and uh, let's see, I ended up meeting someone there who says, oh, you know, I'm looking for a job. I heard there was this restaurant opening up that's, like, being run by Americans, and um, it was called Red Hot and Blues, and it was a, like, a, kind of a Cajun... Influenced American-style restaurant in Prague, right? Okay. If you've never been to Prague,
0: <laughs> I've never been to Prague, but it sounds very
1: exciting, though. It's it's not a place to go for the food, though. It's not a it's not a culinary wonder say. Okay,
0: so no one's getting the, you know the gourmet is not going to be publishing a bunch of recipes from Prague. <laughs> well, I don't know. That was a few years ago. Things okay, so change, we shouldn't we shouldn't dish about it now because it might be. Really great.
1: <laughs> but the you know but the classic Slavic cuisine, and this is the case in you know Russia, Poland. Etc. all of the, you know, Eastern European nations, without, with the exception of Hungary, which has good food. <laughs> and, but the food is very much, uh, very much meat, potatoes, dumplings, gravy, uh, vegetables optional, likely pickled. <laughs> <laughs> and so really not delicious food. So I was pretty much enjoying the vegetarian fare at the Heart Krishna restaurant, um, but very much excited to hear that an American-style restaurant was opening up and maybe there would be an opportunity for me here waiting tables, because, well, I didn't so much have the journalistic experience to get the job at the paper, but I had plenty of experience waiting tables (laughs) on graveyard shift at, you know, Denny's and Caro's restaurants, right? So, I was a pretty good good waitress, and I knew it, and uh, so I went down here. The place hadn't opened up yet, and I said, so, um, would do you guys need any waitresses? How are you set for waitresses? And the, um, the manager says, well, you know, we have six check girls, and we pretty much think we have it covered. And um, around this time, I'm, I'm literally getting hungry, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I've got a very small amount of money left. I don't really know what I'm going to do next. And um, I really, and this was probably one of the, one of the very few opportunities that I had to get myself out of the situation. So it kind of, um, in response to the six check waitresses, I said, well, you know, um, I, I hate to break it to you, but... Maybe you've noticed the, um, you know, the the Iron Curtain had recently fallen, and, you know, this is a a former communist nation where customer service was never really trained (laughs) as part of the culture, you know, and so the service that you could expect in a Czech restaurant was like, you know, um, maybe you would get your food, maybe not, you would wait however long you waited. And, uh, and the tipping was kind of, you know, random, you know, so, right. oh, you, you're, it was 8 crowns 50, I'm going to leave you the 50, you know, or, right. oh, it was uh, 20 pounds 50, I'm still going to leave you the 50. <laughs> 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 and, you know, so the tipping was, you know, almost non-existent, it certainly wasn't, you know, what, what it is here in America. And, uh, and I thought, well, these, these girls can't possibly have the experience of knowing what an American customer expects from their waitress. Right. And so I basically sold her that she needed to hire me as her waitstaff staff supervisor so that <laughs> I could train these Czech girls on the American way to wait table. And she bought it.
0: That's awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah, she bought it. And so I went from having, you know, just a few crowns in my pocket and um, suddenly uh, having quite a lot of money, you know, so from, so from having like, you know, less, less than a buck in my pocket, to having, you know, 30 bucks a day, every day. And so I went from feeling like a pauper to just feeling absolutely rich, you know. And uh, so that was a very good experience. I worked through the summer, um, or excuse me, I should say worked through the spring there, from when they opened the store to uh, to about, well, to about the time that my man rolled into town. <laughs>
0: so during that time did you ever give any thought to leaving like when you're talking to this woman if that wouldn't have panned out would you have gone home you think back to the states
1: yeah i think i think i probably would have had to uh i probably would have continued i would have continued beating down doors okay because it seems like you wanted to stay yeah
0: i really well i just really wanted to i
1: had it in my head that that something great was going to happen
0: and then you know. I guess we'll, we'll get back to your man rolling into town. So what happened next? Are you waiting tables? How did this whole thing come down?
1: So, um, well, I had been waiting tables, and I had, I had had some, let's just say, some kind of a social disaster had happened where some people I thought um, that I had really been enjoying hanging out with suddenly kind of turned on me. And, oh, goodness. And, and, and I felt... Suddenly, like, gee, whoa, I felt like I was really a part of this community, and suddenly I really feel like the odd man out. Yeah. And um, and I had been really down in the dumps for quite a while, and, and this one girlfriend of mine, Laura, who you know, I don't even know her last name to ever find her in the world again, but she was amazing. She, you know, she saw what, what a pit I was in, and she's like, you know, girlfriend, you need to get out. You need to get out of town. And it was, um, it was April 31st, which is... Um, in German, it's called Walpurgisnacht. Uh, I forget what they call it in Czech, but it's basically um, like a like a holiday. It's like a pagan holiday kind of a thing. Okay. And um, it will depends who you ask. <laughs> some call it considered a pagan holiday, but you know the uh, some of the Christian religions adopted it and made it into a Christian holiday. Okay. And so, um, and so there's this scene going on in Prague that we had read about in some of the uh, local papers where uh, in the Czech countryside, reportedly, the the villagers burn witches and vampires in effigy. And we had read about this, and we were like, well, that sounds really cool. Let's go hitchhiking and see if we can find some of these bonfires, right? So, uh... (laughs) Oh, my God. So uh and then, you know, I, I didn't I didn't know that her um that her guy was gonna tag along, but he joined us, which is good probably for the safety of all. You know, that, Yeah, that well yeah, it
0: uh, sounds like a bit of danger could be waiting. <laughs> yeah, waiting, definitely,
1: you know. definitely. And you know, the first you know, the first uh semi that we hitched a ride in, you know, the the guy was feeling up her uh knee. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, my let's get rid of somebody else. With, with and, you know, oh, but, my gosh. But we had, a, we had a really fun time, you know, kind of hitchhiking around the Czech countryside that weekend. And, you know, it was just what I needed uh, to kind of shake me loose from the pit I was in. Right. And I had, uh, we we literally slept in, you know, on, on one night we had climbed up onto this, uh, the ruins of this castle called Devinn. Uh, which used to be on the uh, back of the 500 crown note before they uh, changed the money. And uh, beautiful, you know, literally castle walls falling down kind of a place. We had camp there overnight, and, you know, it was just it was awesome, sleeping under the stars. And, and then we hitched still more the next day, and, uh, you know, we ended up rolling into town after dark, and we didn't really know where we were, but there was a stone wall, and we scaled it, and, found ourselves in this orchard so we slept in the orchard and we wake up in the morning and then we realize we're on the grounds of yet another castle <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing about the Czech Republic is it's like you know every time you sneeze there's another castle you know it's just it's gorgeous gorgeous place and uh, it's just the countryside was so beautiful and here we were hitching rides with strangers and they thought we were the coolest thing and felt like something out of a you know Kerouac novel you know and, yeah. I, just, and I just kind of felt restored and, uh, like, whole again, and, wow, okay, life is cool. And uh, so, you know, here we are, and we're like, oh, well, we better get back to uh, town for the poetry reading, because, you know, poetry reading's coming up in a few hours. So we uh, hustled our butts back and managed to hitch into town um, with a very little amount of time left before the uh, reading. So we're like, oh, okay, we better just go straight to the reading, never mind the, uh, you know, bathing and hygiene (laughs) affair. (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, and so we, um, we end up, um, like, you know, scuttling into the uh, poetry reading that's already in session, kind of sitting down on the floor with, uh, with all the audience listening to the reading and, you know, feeling, feeling pretty good about our little adventure we'd just had. And uh, I'm sitting there in the audience, and I see this guy, you know, I've never seen before, shows up at the, uh, you know, at the uh, opening and, uh, and then I see the MC who had become a friend of mine over the preceding month, Look, he looks up at this guy, like this is his long-lost brother, and uh, jumps up and goes to greet his friend. And I'm thinking, oh, cool. I know that guy.
0: I have a connection. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, so the... Uh, and then <laughs> um, the poetry reading proceeds, and since, you know, Tony, the, um, the MC knew... This gentleman, who was Ethan, and, uh, and knew that he was a writer. And he said, um, you know, I'd like to introduce my friend. And so Ethan got up and read a story. <laughs> and uh, I'll never forget it. It was a story called Dumpster Dive. <laughs> and who had, <laughs> who had found the Holy Grail in a dumpster? And it was brilliant. It was. It
0: sounds awesome.
1: It was a beautiful character study, you know. And I later learned that he'd actually, you know, gotten to know a man and based the character on this man he'd gotten to know.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I was like, wow, okay, I really got to meet this guy. And uh, and then the uh, the affair ends. We go down the street to have some uh, some beers. A black beer in the Czech Republic is a very very good beer. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, so we're having a you know, having a toast there on the sidewalk. And I'm like, hey, Tony, you can introduce me to your friend, and, you know? And he just starts backing away from me, like literally stepping back from me. And he goes, ah, I don't know. Um, you know, I've, I've just been in town for about a week, and I've been camping on the Petron Hill, and I'm a little stinky. It's really not a good time for me to
0: meet anybody. <laughs> and you're like, well, I'm
1: stinky too. <laughs> <laughs> and I take a step forward, <laughs> and I go, well, um... I've been hitchhiking through the Czech countryside for the past three days, and I'm a little stinky myself. He goes, "Oh yeah," (laughs) and at that moment, it was like crazy. We literally each raised an arm on the street and smelled each other's arms, (laughs) and it was love. (laughs) And uh, and he goes, he goes, "All right, yeah, I don't smell any worse than you." And I go, "See." And, uh, you know, and the rest, shall we say, is uh,
0: history. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, that's one hell of a story. That's awesome.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, but, uh, and then it was, uh, so he and I kind of, well, you know, I had to, I did, despite the, despite having the, uh, you know, the chemical lock on from, from the meeting, I think, uh, I, I still had to chase him a bit because there was there were some really amazing women in Prague and, you know, he just got there and wanted to play the field, but.
0: I managed to pin him down. Yeah. <laughs> so how long were, did you pursue him then? I mean, how long were you guys in Prague? And... Uh, I was pursuing him pretty fervently for about a month yeah. before.
1: And, and it was funny because the, the day that he finally yielded happened to me my my birthday. All
0: right. So, you know, well, that's cool. That was cool. a pretty good
1: present for the year.
0: Yeah. I can, yeah. And so how old were you at when you guys met? Oh, uh, let's see. Well, that was, that was 93. Okay. So.
1: Uh, I don't know. So you've been
0: point. together a good long time now.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely.
0: That's awesome.
1: And, uh, and then he had been, now what's funny though is that he had left on his trip around the same time I'd left on mine, um, also traveling solo. And, uh, but he had known about a place in Germany where Americans could work the winter legally. Okay. Uh, there was. I, I don't think it's still there, but there was a thing called Armed Forces Recreation Center. And it was a um, basically a rest and relaxation place for American military in Germany, and it was a place that since it was run by the Department of Defense, Americans could work there without having to get any you know special work permits to for Germany and anyone who's ever tried to work in Europe will know <laughs> that it's very difficult to work, you know uh, you generally have to work under the table if you want to work at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was great that like okay, here's a place where we can go and and uh, worked the winter, and so he had just worked the winter in Garmisch-Partenkirchen, which is a beautiful Bavarian town, um, maybe an hour from Munich on a train, mm-hmm. and it's like uh, right at the base of the Zugspitz, which is the biggest mountain in Germany, and uh, you know, skiing paradise kind of thing. We're not so much skiers, and we weren't insured, so we weren't taking any chances. But <laughs> so, so he had worked the previous winter at this location. And so after he and I kind of, you know, had our summer romance and, you know, uh, we, actually, uh, we actually took a trip to Turkey thinking this was going to be our kind of last hurrah and that we would each go our separate ways. And,
0: oh, really? Uh, yeah.
1: I mean, I think we, we were both really regarding it as a summer romance, I think, when, uh, when we got started. And we took this trip to Turkey and just the two of us where we kind of continued doing what we're doing, like, let's go to the next place we think is exciting. And if we meet someone there and they tell us about another place is exciting, we'll go there. And uh, so we had, well, that and we had just spent the winter in Prague, right? So and we're California people. We're like, <laughs> we need to go to the beach. Right, <laughs> right. And uh, so we had taken a 42-hour bus ride from... Um,
0: 42, 42 hours? No kidding, yeah. From, oh, my and, goodness. And my this is
1: 1993, uh, three, right? So... This is shortly after you know all that Iron Curtain stuff fell, and the so so that meant crossing borders in five countries. Oh wow! So we you know so the bus went from uh, Czech Republic, Slovak Republic, Hungary, Bulgaria, Romania, Turkey. Wow! And at each at each country there were checkpoints on each side of the um, each side of the border, and we really enjoyed watching our drivers um, negotiate the borders because. In those days, what that meant was bribe, bribe, bribe.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: <laughs> and uh, and so you would see these, um, you know, we'd get to the border, and these guys, you know, and you'd see these guys with, like, AK-47s, you know, the guards were pretty heavily armed and stuff. And uh, apparently there was a lot of graft going on there. And um, our drivers would ply them with, you know, cartons of Marlboro cigarettes, bottles of Johnny Walker Red. <laughs> Oh and and uh, American dollars, you know. Wow, so that's that's the uh, national, you know, the international currency. <laughs> are cigarettes, booze, and dollars uh, at that time? Anyway, maybe that's changed.
0: Well, and for a writer, you know, you're traveling with a writer. This must have been just the most fabulous thing ever to be oh, able to witness yeah. some of this stuff firsthand. Yeah,
1: yeah. It was such a, it was such an exciting adventure that, and it was so funny. Our bus driver, um, you know, here in the states, we have. Whenever you go under an underpass, the underpass is marked with what its height is. Right. So if your vehicle is taller than that height, you know, right? Well, that's not the case in Eastern Europe. And so <laughs> I remember on one occasion where we, you know, it was a double-decker bus, and we, <laughs> they drive it up to this overpass. And we stopped right there on the highway. We stopped the bus, <laughs> and the guy got out, climbed the ladder up to the top of the bus to see whether there was enough clearance. There wasn't. <laughs> And we ended up having to, like, turn around and go miles back in another direction and take another path. You know? Oh, so wow. It was, just, it was quite the adventure, you know. And uh, so 42 hours later, we arrived in Istanbul. And, uh, you know, we spent probably a week there. Just, oh, it's so amazing. And we had the most amazing experience of uh, uh, there's an amazing covered bazaar in Istanbul. It's like a covered market that is just it's just indescribable. it's it's a place where if you go to Istanbul you just gotta go there and uh, we we had kind of just gotten off the bus, we're very fatigued from the forty two hour bus ride, you know, haven't been eating that well on the final leg of the trip, hungry and heavy backpacks and whatnot. We're like, okay, well, let's go to the center of town, you know so we find you know we take a train in and get off the train and then we find ourselves in this you know just mad mob of people so crowded and um, you know everybody's trying to sell you something you know the kids trying to sell you socks and everybody's talking something you know and we find ourselves in this crowd of people that seems to be just kind of moving <laughs> towards something and we don't, we can't really tell where this crowd is going but it feels like we should go with them you know and so we just kind of followed this crowd, and it funneled us into this this bazaar, this amazing market where they're selling, you know, tapestries and rugs and gold jewelry and, and crystal and porcelain and just everything that you can imagine. Wow. And, um, and, and, this, and, and it feels like, you know, it feels like you're in biblical times, you know. It's just so, like, colorful and, you know, everything feels so old, and we were just odd. We were just immediately like, wow, this place and, and it was just so alien from all of you know, all of our travel. Before that had all been in Europe. Mm-hmm. And this was just like, whoa, you know, Istanbul truly is a gateway to Asia, you know, and it was just such a like wow, total culture shock. And we were just we were blown away and we loved it there. And uh so we spent, you know, we spent some time in Istanbul and then we were like you know, we just got on a bus and went somewhere else and then we went somewhere else you know and uh, we we tended to cling to the coast because you know we were on our beach holiday after all and just had the best best trip and just you know and that was just somewhere on that trip we just kind of concluded you know what i this isn't a summer romance you know, <laughs> we, we need to we need to keep this happening and uh somewhere along the way uh you know we were drawing closer to the winter and you know we returned to prague and what are we going to do next, you know? And so we decided to, um, he says, well, let's go back to Garmish and let's work there and we'll save our money so we can go home. And uh, so we did. And, and it was in Garmish, uh, working that winter, saving our money. You know, most of, the, most of the other Americans were, you know, spending all their money on, in drinking out in the, you know, out in the uh, bars and whatnot. And we were just saving our money. And uh, it was a good deal because, you know, although we weren't being paid much by the um, <laughs> Department of Defense for cleaning rooms, we were maids, uh, but the rent was really cheap. So it was like 35 bucks a month in rent.
0: Oh, wow, yes. Yeah. And we were
1: getting like 6 bucks an hour. Yeah. So we were able to, and they let us room together. So it was like a dormitory situation, but they let us go co-ed. So we had our own room. We're banking our money and just trying to find ways to pass the time to get through the winter. Mm-hmm. And that's when I picked up knitting again, you know. And I, um, I was like, what am I going to do to kill the time here? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it's cold outside, and we don't want to ski because we're not insured. We don't, we don't want to hurt ourselves. And I found a yarn shop and bought a pile of um, virgin, you know, Bavarian sheep wool. And I uh, just started knitting with it. And, and it was funny because when I started knitting again, I, I just wanted to make something fabulous. And I just kind of started messing around and playing around with cables. And I just looking for inspiration. And I found this German fashion magazine that had this really cool, unusual cable knit in it. And I'm going to knock this off, you know? And <laughs> I had this little you know, two-by-two-inch picture. And I was just <laughs> carefully <laughs> cables on the sweater. trying to imitate them with no pattern no no but i did a reasonably good job of getting the um getting the basic look and feel of that sweater down and uh wow it it turned out really great and i was like oh okay i got to do some more of this you know i bought more yarn and you know and and i tell you it got me through the winter in just the best way because i was you know uh, i was totally entertained and I didn't feel the need to, you know, go out and spend a bunch of money on the local economy, which mm-hmm. is, you know, if you go start eating out in German restaurants and drinking in German bars, you will spend your money very fast. Mm-hmm. And so I just banked it. And uh, a year later, we decided, well, by this time, we were getting homesick, because we'd both been away from home for two years. And we said, let's go, <laughs> you know, let's go home. And uh, so we packed up our stuff, and um, and we used Air hitch to uh, fly out of Amsterdam and uh, flew back to the Bay Area. And my dad picked us up at the airport and, you know, we started looking for jobs, found some jobs in San Francisco. And uh, and it was funny because my husband had, uh, excuse me, he wasn't my husband yet, but (laughs) um, he had, um, we had found our first copy of Wired magazine at the Munich train station. During, I'm a uh, subscriber.
0: It's an awesome publication. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And this, and, and keep keep in mind, this is you know what uh, now it's ninety four, right? And right. Wired was just like it was just a brand new thing, right? And you know the dot com thing was just beginning to happen, and uh, and Ethan was reading about all this stuff in Wired, and he's like, this is, he's like, I want to be a part of this. Let's let's go, you know, and and uh, we had I think we'd both always imagined ourselves living in San Francisco, so it, you know it was not a hard sell at all. And we came back here, and, uh, you know, I, uh, my first job, funny, uh, was in a fabric store. It was a really great fabric store here called Brightex Fabrics. And I spent uh, about a year and a half working there doing at, in the notions counter, selling beads and buttons and uh, helping people pick out materials for their projects. And really enjoyed that, but I always felt kind of like, you know, like, boy, I throw you people all these amazing ideas, and you don't even realize how great they are. <laughs> You know, and I started yeah. feeling kind of burnt out. Like I got to get out of here, and and then I danced through a couple of a uh, couple of jobs I hated for the next year, and and then uh, my husband's cousin um, hooked me up with a job um, at CNET, which uh, is where I still work actually. And um, CNET is—I don't know if you know any of the any of the CNET products, but, you know, download.com and, uh, gamespot.com are, Oh yeah. You know, okay. Brands. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and I had, um, uh, I didn't have much experience, but I got my foot in the door here as a receptionist and that was in 97. And, uh, you know, I did the reception thing for about six months and then, uh, or more like nine months. And that all went really well. And, and keep in mind, this is like boom time, you know? So, uh, it was just like opportunities were everywhere, you know, mm-hmm. for people who didn't have a lot of skill to get into the right place and meet the right people and network and, you know, and make something of themselves. And I was watching it happen to other people around me. And I was like, wow, okay, I gotta, I gotta take advantage of this. And um, so they made me office manager. So I was running the, uh, the headquarters building, taking care of all the air conditioning and plumbing and you know, getting construction done to handle the growth and uh, stuff like that, and, um, and then the company to, they said, hey, we need a telecommunications department here, and uh, prior to that, it had been kind of handled by lots of different people, and, and they, they kind of said, uh, well, let's, let's hire a person, a full-time person to take care of the phone, and I was working for the manager who was hiring that role, and I said, hey, what about me? I could do that, and she goes, "Well, you know, we're 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 interviewing candidates with skills." Uh, oh, you know, and uh, but keep in mind, you know, the job market was so hot at that time, and so what happened is, you know, they had a guy they wanted to hire, and he he um, he took their offer, showed it to his employer, got a better offer from his employer, and said, "Thanks, but no thanks." <laughs> so my manager comes back to me and says, "Well." Maybe maybe we will put you into this role, and uh, so I became what well, at that time the telecommunications manager and started learning how to program the PBX and run the phone system and take care of the voicemail and and how to manage the cellular phones and phone bills and you know did that all that for uh, several years all by myself and then uh, or for a couple of years and then <laughs> As the company continued to grow, I was like, I really need help here. <laughs> so I got myself a great manager, and uh, he has just been like just such a mentor and a guide to me, and uh, we developed the department into what's now a team of four, and uh, so I've been basically running the phone systems here for, I don't know, since 99 anyway. Wow. Yeah. So I got to live through, you know, Y2K and all that, which is a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, everyone was and, uh, freaking out here in Grand Rapids too. Yeah. We had a fully staffed newsroom, like the apocalypse was about to happen and um we nothing really happened at all. Well, we all know nothing happened. We're all yeah. still here, you know. <laughs> like I'm telling you, yeah, you know what? Nothing happened. <laughs> I know, but then but,
1: but Do we agree, or I I wonder, does the world agree that nothing happened because everybody worked so hard to prepare for it, or did nothing happen because nothing was going to happen in the first place?
0: I believe nothing (laughs) was really going to happen in the first place, but I think there there probably would have been some computer issues had they not been uh, taken care of beforehand. But it was funny, though, because everyone, like in my newsroom, we were all kind of fully staffed, and it was just like we were waiting for something. But then none of us wanted to admit that perhaps we thought maybe something was going to happen. You know what I mean? It was like, yeah. you're like, oh, real cool about, yeah, nothing's yeah. going to happen. You know, well, you're just I like, thought, I hope not. You know?
1: Yeah, I always thought it was so funny. Um, can you remember that old uh, Prince song, uh, Party Like It's nineteen Oh, yeah. And I thought it was really funny that by the time 1990 came around, party like it's 1999 meant something completely different. It meant freak the hell
0: out and stack your your, your, your pantry. And it
1: meant, meant, you know, you IT staff stay sober so you're ready to deal with stuff. Right, because you can't party. Yeah, (laughs) so we were not partying at all. (laughs)
0: That is funny. He had no idea what you know how that was going to change. Yeah, I thought it was a really funny thing. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, but Cena has been really really good to me. And do you uh, still work full time?
1: I I do. I do. And I'm pushing. uh, I'm pushing the ten year mark here. actually, Which is phenomenal to me because I never you know before Cena I never had a job for more than a year and a half without getting bored to tears and looking for something else. Yeah, you know, but uh, CNET did a really good job keeping it interesting for me, you know. And they always kind of gave me a new challenge or let me try something new. And they gave me a lot of leeway. And I was working with such interesting people because everyone here is so smart and um, fun, you know. And and I just I just I just love it here. And uh, so I have uh, really and that and boy, they really cut me so much slack while I was writing the book. It's I. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful.
0: Well, and that's the big question that people are gonna hang in for a while to get to the really the part that everyone wants to know. How did you become the (laughs) dominatrix? Because, you know, this whole conversation, you don't sound like the commanding sword at all, you better know? <laughs> You're telling these lovely stories, you know, and not uh, talking about, you know, any bar fights or anything like that. <laughs> so so how, how did you get this name? It sounds like uh, Ethan had something to do with this. Uh, well, you know, I was
1: just, um, I don't know, one, I'd had the experience a few times of being kind of like coaching another knitter through something and, um, and and they would be like, well, what, what do I do here, you know? And, like, I, I remember once I was showing someone how to tink or how to knit backwards uh, and how to, you know, um, once they, you know, once you rip out a section of knitting, how to put the stitches back on the needle mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or how to, you know, slip the needles from the, uh, slip the stitches from the left stitch, from the left needle to the right needle without turning them. And I go, here, you just do it like this. And, and this woman says... Well, if you're you, you do it like that. <laughs> and and it just and it gave me pause. Like, what, like, huh? What what? And and what I realized is that she was calling she had just called my attention to the fact that that when I knit, I am just incredibly powerful. And and I just feel so masterful and in control and strong. And just just grounded to the core, and like you know, wow, I'm really good at this. And I I really was, I was searching for a little while. I'm like, what what to call myself, and what to how to name myself, you know. And uh, and at that time, I was you know looking around on the internet, you know, because obviously, if I'm working at an internet media company, <laughs> I'm obviously going to be looking for this kind of content on the web. You know, right. I'm looking for it. And at that time, everything I was finding was so ugly. And I don't, I don't mean the styles. I mean the websites. Uh, it was like uh, I was, everything I found was so kind of super feminine, and there were like a lot of like cursive fonts on repeating wallpaper backgrounds. Right. Where, where it was so hard to look at the site, you know. Right. And, and I found myself thinking, well, I want to make something better than that. Like, there's an opportunity here for, uh, you know, someone to make an exciting website about knitting and to show people that knitting is cool and and uh, because, you know, boy, I had been doing it for so long and I always thought it was, you know, just so great to make unique, special clothes and have, you know, something like nobody else would have. And, uh, and I, I just really wanted to, share that content with the world, you know, because, because I always felt very closeted about my, about my passion, you know, this is the thing that, you know, oh, here I am making clothes and, you know, and then I would just appear at work in these outfits, you know, and, and I remember one of the best compliments I ever got from a coworker is, uh, you know, I was wearing, I was wearing a pinstripe suit that I had made that particular day and he goes, wow, you look just amazing today, you know, and, and, uh, and I, you know, I said, thank you, I made this suit. And he, like, literally, like, jumped back. <laughs> He's like, you made that? And I go, yeah. And I go, most of the nicer things that you've seen me wear are things that I've made. You know, like, most of my suits and things I've made, all of them. And he jumped back again. And he <laughs> says, you're kidding me. He says, I thought you were rich. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought that was the best compliment, you know. And, uh, and so i it just been really... Trying to find a way to, you know, share, you know, because really, I just, I just want to be a fashion designer, you know. And I had, I had wanted to be a fashion designer, like it was my like, it was my secret dream, you know, not the not the dream I was proud of that I wanted to tell people, like I want to be a doctor, you right, know? right. But like <laughs> in here, you know, it was like you know the 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 girl in me. I just I just wanted to design clothes, and uh, and so when. I was just kind of one night hanging out with my husband, having a beer and and it just came to me. Like, oh, Dominitrix, That's what it is. That's what I am. That's my brand. That's my company, Dominitrix, Because I'm just man, when I knit, I'm transformed. I'm just completely in control, you know? And and it, if suddenly I realize I'm not in control, bah, rip it out. Right, <laughs>
0: you know? take control. Yeah,
1: yeah. And and I just always felt so empowered to be able to make things that fit my body well, and to uh, to make things that were special and like nobody else had. And uh, you know, so so I just kind of kept on making stuff. And uh, and a lot of the things that I made, when you know, when they eventually got worn out of the house, you know, people would stop me on the street where did you get that and uh you know and and it, it that happened enough that i thought well okay we, we gotta we gotta immortalize this <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know of course being at a being at a web company i'm like well i'll go buy the domain you know and so i go search has anyone bought dominatrix.com yet well no of course not because who would have thought of it but me yeah. you know <laughs> and uh so i bought the domain and uh started kind of trying to put together some content. And, you know, my husband made a kind of... Uh, he, you know, he had been doing uh, web development and making uh, doing graphic design for, uh, uh, for GameSpot, that, that company that CNET owns. Um, and he actually had designed the GameSpot logo back, uh, back when that happened many years ago. And uh, he said, well, you, I'm just going to give you this little kind of basic site and you go you go put some content there and and um and then, you know, when when it's when there's enough stuff there I'll redesign the site and we'll make it really, really cool. And uh, so then, you know, here I am knitting and making and at that time I was doing um, working on the little what what turned out to be the Little Red Riding Hoodie mm-hmm. and um and the City Code I was just making at that time and the Elf and Goth I was making at that time and and uh so we would have these days where um, <laughs> you know where we were trying to create content for the site, and uh, I remember one day we, we got out of bed and it was a super foggy day in San Francisco, uh, like just completely socked in, like, we got a lot of those here, you know and and Ethan says, "You know he says, "I bet it's really, really foggy at the Presidio right now He says didn't you just finish that sweater?" and, uh, and I'm like, yeah, but the, um, the zipper's not quite in." quite right yet like, you know I need to redo the zipper and he's like well, just screw the zipper says, let's just go let's go right now and um, <laughs> and so <laughs> he drags me down to the Presidio and we go uh, you know hiking around in the, in the forest there's some uh, ancient redwood forest there as well as uh, just a lot of beautiful woods and the fog was very low in the trees and um, he shot me wearing the Elf and Goths and I hadn't quite named it at that at that time and uh, I was, the working title for that project was Made Marion, because <laughs> I had felt like it was very uh, Robin Hood inspired or something like that. But, <laughs> but really, you know, in the end, when it was all finished, it really made Marion just seem like such a subservient name to give it. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, yeah, let's shoot this thing. And uh, he took some really, really wonderful photos that day of the um, of & sweater. And we put him up on the site and people just loved the. You know, they just loved it. And they were like, ah, you know, make a pattern for that and, um, you know, make a pattern for your other stuff. And I started, uh, you know, once we posted some nice photography of a lot of the projects, I really started hearing from people that they really wanted me to make my stuff into patterns. And, you know, because at that time, you know, I was just making this stuff up, you know. I mean, I'm not one to plan my my projects very much. I kind of, you know, I get a bunch of yarn and I go, hmm. Sit there and I look at the poly yarn and I go, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" You know? <laughs> and uh, I, I just, I guess I kind of regard that. I think I think any crafts person, like you, you, really need to have a relationship with the material. Like, you know, what what do these materials want to be? You know, and and uh, so, unfortunately, it's not a very efficient process. But uh, I really, you know, like when the city coat, you know, 30, I got 30 balls of yarn for the city coat. I was like, what am I going to do with this yarn? I had just bought it because it was cheap, you know, because uh, Knit Picks was having a sale. <laughs> and uh, I was like, what am I going to do with these 30 balls? I just, uh, I'm like, hmm, you know, so I knit up a whole one. I'm like, how big is that? And then I, you know, measured that and I thought, times 30, how large is that? And I laid down my measuring tape on the floor how much, for how much area that would take up. And it took up, you know, about like a three by five foot area. Uh, and I go, huh,
0: maybe that's enough to make a coat. Oh, I love the city coat. Thank you. It's, and it's, it's kind of cool, too, that you can kind of make a, some slight changes and have a coat that looks different, but because the mod coat is kind of like the city coat, yeah. only some ma- yeah. minor changes.
1: Exactly, exactly, so. just a couple extra bits, yeah. Yeah. It really changes the look of it. Yeah. So you
0: clearly have the gift to oh, just be able so. to make. I mean, there are a lot of knitters out there who really want to have a pattern. From somebody else, yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and it sounds like you almost would prefer to just be free to do whatever you want,
1: yeah, yeah, I mean, even when I was working with patterns, I always felt a little well i think I think most knitters when they work with patterns, they tweak things in a little way, even if it's they may not uh, even realize what the, yeah, you know. or even if it just means that they're doing it to get the, get it to fit them or they make it a little shorter or longer, or some subtle change, and um, you know i had but I had um, almost everything I'd ever knit from a pattern I had you know, gotten tired of before I finished the pattern or just kind of stopped using the pattern and kind of started winging it. And, uh, and I had been doing that for a long time. So, so it just kind of, you know, I'd gotten in the habit of just kind of like, oh, let's just knit and see what happens. And I feel very, uh, very much like the, the best pieces just grow on the needles. They're like these creatures, you know, that they just kind of take shape and, um, you know, and kind of, I'll just be knitting and oh, this is really cool. What am I going to do next, you know? And then I might have to set it aside for a week or a month or a few months, <laughs> you know, and kind of just let it sit there. And, you know, and eventually it would tell me, oh, now you need to do this now, you know? And, and I it just uh, I've always felt really like if the materials know what they want to be. Right. I just don't always hear them clearly, you know? <laughs> so um, it's definitely... Uh, I, but I just, I just love developing the designs, you know, and I love just trying stuff out and trying new things. And, um, you know, like, uh, like the Elfengott sweater evolved from just a simple leaf pattern. You know, I was like, what am I going to do with this yarn? And I had bought, you know, I had bought one hank of the Provence from Classic Elite, and I was kind of screwing around with it, making some, you know, lacy scarf thing, you know. And, you know, I started off making the leaf one particular way that I had found in a, you know, pattern in a Barbara Walker book. And uh, I was like, well, that's interesting, but what happens if I, you know, increase it even more and then decrease it more dramatically? And I, you know, and so what happened was the this, this swatch piece evolved where every single leaf in the swatch, uh, which grew into a scarf, every single leaf was different than the other. And, uh, and then I started thinking, oh, well, you know, this leaf thing is neat and all, but it's so, it's so literal, you know, could I do something a little bit more You know random and so then the the, i started just kind of working the lace repeat but not decreasing the leaf out into the point and i ended up with the uh the lace that is now the Elfengoth lace and uh which is like a just a simple chevron lace
0: well it's uh, wonderful that you and your process sounds so interesting too because i think a lot of times um People ha- think they have to follow a set, you know, certain steps you have to take to get to a finished piece, and uh, you're very open to just letting the creative process take you wherever it's going to take you, you know, and not trying to to get from point A to point B directly. Um, We're fun I'm, that way, yeah, I think so. Well, and also you also get to um, decide what you want the project to be as you go, as opposed to um, having the disappointment and having it not turn out the way you thought you wanted it to be exactly exactly well i'm really interested in how, how what the response you get um when people hear you know dominant tricks i know I, I had this book um at work and um it was on my desk and you know it's it's like this faux leather black leather book, <laughs> which i love it kind of takes knitting to this daring place i think we're way past the whole you know this is a granny thing to do because I mean, the resurgence has happened and people are you know hip people knit they crochet, they do all kinds of stuff. So we're yeah. past that. However, um, this book does take it to a whole another level, too, um, as far as you know, the whole, refer- you know, dominatrix. It's just so fun. I mean, the whole idea of this. And how do people respond to it?
1: You know, it's been interesting. People are, I think, um, just kind of blown away. I, I, think, I think some people, some, there are a certain sector of people who just don't know what to expect. Yeah. And they see that. Tough-looking black cover, and they go, "Ooh." I well, then they might about. open
0: it and see a picture, and, a picture view um, <laughs> in leather, <yeah>. in leather, <laughs> with a ball of yarn and, like, and knitting what needles. Is but this but shit it's not. About? Yeah, but it's not. I mean, there's nothing about this. Like, you would not get arrested for you know having this book. I mean, there's nothing in here that is going to make people even you know the church going folks that you know, feel like this is so far out of their realm of experience or comprehension yeah. this is not any kind of weird dirty thing this is yeah, there's nothing yeah, like that yeah but i think there's a certain a certain percentage of people who look at it and think that it must be. Well, and that's, well, that's part of the fun. That's actually what strikes me as being really funny because yeah, you know, the I guy, agree. A, a guy who sits by me was like, what is that? And I, thought, I don't know if he thought it was like a, a book on how to be a dominatrix. <laughs> and he thought, geez, wow, that's a little little crazy to be bringing that to work. You know? But, yeah, but yeah. Um, I said, no, it's the dominatrix. There's a huge yeah. difference. Well, the projects are fantastic too and I want to make sure that we give people an, an idea of what you're, you're, you're doing here. I mean, everything from, I mean, you have some really fun hats, uh, a devil hat. It looks like it'd be very warm, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Cover your ears. I'm going to make my, and it's kind of, now people are going to really want to call social services on me when they hear me say I'm making something from the Dominitrix book um, for my child. (laughs) But my daughter, Abby, is about two and a half, and I thought, for Christmas, I'd like to make her some of these necklaces that you have in here, the string of pearls, because she's really too small for Jewelry, because I mean, she wants to pull at beaded jewelry, and, right, right, right. And, and this is something, apart. yeah. And this is something that she could put on, and it's not going to hurt her. But then, You're for right. a grown woman, you know, this is also, I think, really looks really cool. You know, You're right. And so,
1: that is a fun little project. Yeah, so I'm
0: going to be. That's actually the first thing that I'm going to be making out of this book. Of course, I want to make the Mohawk um, hat for my brother-in-law. Yeah, so when he plays Guitar Hero on his PlayStation, <laughs> he, he can have yeah. a cool hat to wear. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: I, I mean, totally. obviously the Valentine uh, candy pillows, you might not want to give your grandma a heart-shaped pillow that says bite me on it or, or spank yeah. me. <laughs> but there's nothing to say that you can't embroider a more pedestrian and message You definitely that. <laughs> could. You definitely could. But I guess, you know, the fun part about this book is it does have a definite attitude to it. And it's yeah. not – but it's fun to read because yeah, it's not you. just – well, in – It's not just, you know, okay, and the next step you do this. It is written with, uh, you know, well, the dominatrix attitude is in here. You know, like, you know, take control and um, don't complain about it. Just do it. You know, I thought it was hilarious um, because I I am – I always do this and I, I make, I, I'll be like such in such a rush to get a project started that I might not do the swatch, which is the stupidest thing. Cause that's the only way to know if, if your project's going to really kind of turn out. Um, indeed, and, indeed. But, unless
1: it's a scarf in which case, whatever. Right. But, but if it's
0: a garment, you really should do it. And yeah. uh, I think your are how you, you lay out, I think it's the eight rules. Yeah. Uh, to kind of get you get you know for for successful knitting and I really um, I just really enjoyed it and I thought that you know it's a great book and the patterns are really fun and I showed a variety of people the book and to kind of get some other knitters perspectives on this and yeah. everyone was you know kind of laughing because at first they're like oh my like what is that you know and yeah. then they open it and they're like wow that's really fun you know so yeah. I think yeah. you know people looking on Amazon if they haven't been to your website and they haven't checked it out might think wow what scandalous you know yeah but <laughs> exactly. but is that fun for you? Though, because it sounds like in your daily life, I mean, would people be? Yeah. Are people surprised when you tell them yeah. that your alter ego is that you're the dominatrix? <laughs>
1: well, um, yeah, yes and no. Anyone who anyone who works with me has seen me stalking the halls of CNET in my four inch tall boots, <laughs> and you know I wear a lot of black, and you know I tend to go for the uh, the crow accessories. So you know I already kind of got like a little. Kind of a Dom fashion thing going on, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so so they're kind of well that, and I'm I'm also very much like um, you know uh, I'm I run around a lot and in my job and people see me all over the place, you know, and there's uh, <laughs> so just I don't know. I think I think they're 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 surprised, but they're not really surprised. And I've had some people some very amusing reactions, like um, one um, you know <laughs> one gay man who used to work here who was. A member of the you know leather community, um, and when I said you know, and the thing is, if you hear dominatrix without you, seeing, you
0: think dominatrix, spelling,
1: because it's a made-up word, right? People hear dominatrix, and, right, right? And you know, and I said, well, you know, I have this website called Dominatrix, and in like a split second, he goes, Oh, you run a dungeon. <laughs> And you know, not that he had a problem with that. Right, but no, he was—he actually sounded like made me he might be kind of interested. Yeah, he, he wanted to know more. And, but you know, I really, I really get a huge kick out of that, and I and I get a huge kick out of the fact that when people misspell it. They are, they're, you know, when they're looking for the site, you know, they this get is why them. people, you never go to anything.com that you type in. You always Google that stuff. But, right. <laughs> so you find what you're looking for and not something right. else. But I just find it hilarious. It, ha- it happened to Grumperina right, uh, lately, actually. Uh, I had emailed her, and she goes to check my site and just types in, you know, and she's like, oh, oops. <laughs> And I just think that is, I just think it's the funniest thing when that happens because, you know, I really, I guess I really enjoy messing around with people's expectations. And, you know, like, I, I guess I feel like, well, you know, in the past five years, haven't we heard about a hundred times not your mama's knitting,
0: not yeah, your grandma's knitting. Yeah.
1: And I'm like, I so want to just blow the doors <laughs> off that phrase.
0: <laughs> I think you've done that. <laughs> but
1: the thing is, if you look at this book, there is stuff in here that your mom would like. Well, that that's the thing that's so like. funny
0: about it is, yeah. you know, if you might not want to say um, on the heart-shaped pillow, spank me, but anything else, you know, totally appropriate. And they're cute. I mean, this stuff yeah. is cute. And yeah, the definitely. sweaters are great. Um, the patterns, I mean, yeah. there's nothing in here that if you knitted it and gave it to somebody they'd be like oh wow this is really inappropriate i yeah, mean there's nothing yeah. like that not to disappoint the folks who were hoping for <laughs> maybe your next book could be like something you know you could take it up a notch here but um, but yeah you i mean no i this is that's the funny part about it is i think people have this expectation because when I, I remember when i oh, i got the um got my copy from the publisher and i I open. I pulled it out of the, you know, cause I never know what it's going to, you know, I just pulled the book out and I was like, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> I was laughing right away. Cause I, you know, I'm paging through and I just thought, this is really fun. So yeah. I think that, um. You know, it's great. And it, and I guess you have to just, uh, you're just disappointing some folks who thought it was <laughs> the whack, wackos on the internet yeah, who are looking yeah. for a dominatrix and misspell it and end up with a dominatrix. Exactly.
1: <laughs> or maybe they were expecting knitted sex toys. Or, you know, I mean, and I, I do, lingerie is something I would really like to do more of. Uh, but for getting this book out and the amount of time that I had, I really had to focus on. Projects that I'd already executed well,
0: right, right. You
1: know, but but I'm definitely looking forward to doing more uh, lingerie and lingerie influenced things in the future. But it's a good thing I didn't write that book because other people recently did. <laughs> well, you know, like I said earlier, I just want to be a fashion designer. <laughs> right, right. And uh, and so a lot of how we presented the book had to do with the influence of fashion. I really wanted to show it like almost like a line, you know, like look here's the you know here's the halter here's the pullover, mm-hmm. you know, here's the sweetheart pullover, here's the coat, you know, here's the, the bride, and you'll notice that the Elfin Bride is at the, the finale of the book, which is a nod to, you know, the couture runway,
0: because, mm-hmm.
1: you know, all the big couturiers always close their show with bridal, you know, and I thought, I, I want to do that, too, because that's really what I'm doing here, is I'm presenting my first line, it just happens to be knitted, and I happen to be sharing the instructions with you, so you can make that stuff, too. You know, and uh, I, think it's, I think it's kind of an exciting thing that's happening right now, that there's all these independent designers, basically, that's what we are. Mm-hmm. And we happen to knit, and, and we're basically saying, hey, guys, look what I made. You want to make one? And we're putting our stuff out there. And, uh, you know, it was putting my stuff out there on the web that got me the book deal.
0: Well, and how, and how wonderful for you to achieve your secret dream. Exactly. That's awesome. I think exactly. that's fantastic. And yeah, how does it feel funny. to get to that point?
1: Well, I got to say, it's a lot better to be standing here than where I was in the middle of making the book. You know, it's just
0: Oh, I'm sure it was probably It was quite...
1: a tremendous amount of work and and I would to anyone who's even thinking about writing a book, I would I would tell them absolutely not to undertake it lightly. And <laughs> but it is it is so exciting to start seeing the book in people's hands, and to see people getting excited about the projects. I did my first signing last weekend,
0: and uh, now do you dress up in your uh, your leather when you go? Or uh, <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> <laughs> what do I people would, expect when you show up? I mean,
1: it's you know, it's interesting because you know, I think I would probably prefer to. But I worry that I'll scare people off if I do that. Okay, so
0: you're just you just dress in your normal attire. Yeah. Okay. So,
1: well, um, so I did do an event when I was at Book Expo America where I totally dressed up to the nines. Actually, I wore the same outfit that you see in the book, right? So, you know, the leather corset, the leather gauntlets on my, um, my arms, and uh, the very cute uh, outfit that my style team picked up for me. And <laughs> really, <laughs> just really, really enjoyed it because, you know... You have no that now that is a powerful feeling. Yeah, I can imagine, yeah. To put on that outfit and you know and I actually it was a, a warm day in May in Washington DC and here I am, you know, walking from my hotel across a large <laughs> plaza to get to the convention space and then there I am, you know, and in my in my four inch boots that makes me, you know, six two or taller, right? <laughs> And, you know, and with the red hair, a fly-in, and, you know, the leather, and it's just like people turn heads, and that is, that is a powerful feeling right there. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, and boy, I would do it every day if I could get away with it, <laughs> but I guess I feel like, well, but my core audience is knitters, right? Right. And, uh, you know, so I guess I'd be interested to hear from people about about what, you know, how they feel about that, you know, because... I would love to, I'd love to dress the part everywhere I go. But I um, But I guess I kind of worry that that's a little intimidating. It makes me a little less approachable because now I look very aggressive and strong and, like, I'm going to hurt them.
0: <laughs> uh, well, you know, I, so. I think it's going to be interesting because I think after people hear this show especially, you know, to get a chance to hear this much from you because when you go to a signing, you can't tell everyone your story that comes up to the table, you know. Yeah. Of course and not. I think this is going to help people, you know, kind of get a, a feel for who you are and that in your daily life every day you're not telling people barking orders and telling <laughs> whipping them into shape, you know. <laughs> but but yeah. you know, it's it's I think it's a it's a great book. It's a fun book because there's a lot of books, a lot of knitting books out there and I think it's challenging to try to set yourself apart, you know, when you're an author and you're trying and, and a knitter and a, uh, a fashion designer, and you really have done that. And um, one of the other things I like, really like about your book is, um, well, I like the whole book. This is definitely on my uh, recommended to buy list for sure. I like the beginning of the book where you have all those great photo illustrations that really take the mystery out of a lot of the techniques you use in your patterns, and yeah. that makes it so much easier because even if you're experienced at Reading patterns, there might be some stitch or some technique that you need to use that you have never used before. And instead of skipping over the pattern being like, Oh, I don't know how to do that, I'll ask next time I'm in the yarn shop or yeah, you know. You can yeah. just, you know, follow the photos and figure it out. So
1: Yeah, um, well I, I did so much of my, my own knitting learning came so much from books that I really <laughs> I really wanted to create one that shared how to do the hard stuff. Yeah. You know, because because I mean, sure, anyone can knit in Pearl, and you can find that in the back of any knitting magazine. But you know, boy, how do I graft garter stitch?
0: Right, right. How right. do I
1: graft ribbing? And those are things that I had looked for, couldn't find, and had to figure out on my own. You know? So it's kinda like, boy, I did the work. Why not share this?
0: So you're essentially self taught then with your knitting.
1: Yeah, yeah, in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways. I mean, I think um, I found a lot of I found a lot of information on the internet. Um, I think like everybody has, but uh, but a lot of things I had just kind of like just hardcore trial and error. Just uh, this isn't working. You know what am I going to do? How am I going to work this out and uh, that? And I get bored. I'm I'm easily bored. You know, and so just sitting there knitting the random square isn't really very entertaining for me. So I want to do something a little harder. You know, and I'm like hmm, so maybe if I make this thing on the diagonal. Maybe that'll be a little more interesting, you know?
0: Well, I was really impressed. I mean, you close your book with with the Elfin Bride uh, sweater. That's really pretty fantastic. And that's something that, are you going to have that on your website at some point then? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I am
1: working on that as, well, not as we speak, literally, but uh, I am spending every spare moment that I can trying to finish the edit on that pattern because it's, well, it's some small heartbreak for me that it's not there, that I'm not finished with it yet. Because it means that um, a lot of the initial fan mail that I've gotten is tinged with disappointment of people who are like, hey, I love your book, but where's this pattern? We really want it. And, and, I'm, and I'm just really holding the line that, you know, it's just too precious of a design to rush it.
0: Well, what you don't, don't want to do, sure. yeah, you don't want to put it up there before you're ready to do that, because yeah. um, it's, it looks very complicated. It um, is very, um, it looks, very unusual. And that's like an understatement. I think it's unlike any pattern I've really seen. So yeah, I, I totally agree. And I've, I've never seen anything
1: done quite like it. And I can tell you that the reason people don't design stuff like this is it's really, really difficult to size. Okay. <laughs> you know, the fact that it's all made, made diagonally, so figuring out how you're going to make that into, you know, extra small through extra large is yeah. very challenging.
0: Well, I think it's going to be worth the wait. Yeah, yeah, uh, I agree, and I'm I'm
1: at the point now. (laughs) I'm at the point now where I'm in the final, I'd say, 85 or 90 percent of the one that I'm knitting myself, Um, and it is just so exciting to watch this piece come together, because as you're constructing it, um, it you know first it starts off as these long sleeves with the you know with the flares on the end. And then as you begin knitting the center back and tail, it evolves into the shape of an airplane. And as you look at this thing, you're like, this woman is crazy. What is she thinking? (laughs) And then as you bring, you know, as you knit around the sides to the front, it all starts to just kind of come together into the most amazing shape. And the diagonal knitting is so flattering because it just sort of falls on the body in a certain way. That is so um, graceful and alluring, and I just, I just love this design. <laughs> I have to say, and I really wanted to, you know, I wanted to make sure that, you know, I write the best possible pattern because it is so challenging and unusual that if the pattern's badly written, boy, you're just going to hate me, you know. Yeah, um, we don't, yeah, you don't
0: want to have, you don't want to lead people down the path of frustration. So it sounds yeah, like, yeah, you know. yeah,
1: absolutely, and and it's such an exciting project to watch come together. that that I just really I want people to have that same joy that I have when this project comes together I want them to feel that too as opposed to you know tearing their hair out or writing me nasty grams or whatever
0: (laughs) yeah we don't want any nasty grams yeah
1: yeah well and I really I really also want to be able to stay in touch with the people who are knitting the sweater so I'm asking that people register with me on the site and um and so you know We'll be creating a way of doing site, you know, download from the site for people who can, oh, you know, well, like, what's the first word on page 99 or whatever? Uh, you know, we'll create a little security feature um, so that people can access it. And I want to have, you know, forums there where people can talk about their experience. Maybe post photos you know, of other... it And as people, you know, because it will evolve. Because this piece is the most organic, evolved piece of knitting that I've ever made. And each time I knit it, I mean, what's the hard thing about developing the pattern is I have to make myself knit it exactly the same way every time.
0: <laughs> yeah, and that's that's you know. different than what you're used to, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that and this piece
1: is so, you know, there are so many live stitches as you're going through the pattern that it just really it feels alive. You know, it's uh, it's very there's very few sections where you actually bind something off. You know, it's almost always you know pick up and knit a little more here, and then you know decrease those stitches together to create a seam. And it's just, uh, it is just not like anything else. And uh, and I just really want to make it just the best, the best possible experience for everybody who wants to knit it.
0: Well, I've really enjoyed our talk today. I don't know if there's anything that I didn't ask you that you want people to know about your book. You know, we covered a lot of ground, but is there yeah, anything well, I, I, I think, left out?
1: You know, the the thing, the reason I really, the reason I wrote the book is that I really just wanted to. To share with knitters, though, all the little tips and tricks that I've learned that that really help me churn out really amazing results, you know, of a fitted sweater or uh, something that that just you know that makes people say, "Where'd you get that?" Instead of, "Did you make that?" <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, and right. I mean, there's there's no better way to insult me than to ask me if I made that. If you're asking that question, it looks- what's wrong with it? You know? Yeah, <laughs> and uh, so I, so I really just you know wanted to wanted to enable other people to have the same kind of joy and satisfaction that I get when I when I finish these things, and I'm like, look what I did, you know. And I have been for for years, like you know, bringing in my finished objects to the office and going, look what I made, you know. And People who don't knit look at it and they go, "Oh, that's cool," you know, and and uh, not not really understanding technically what it took. So I also really just wanted to put this stuff out out there and show and show the knitters who know and understand what it takes. Look what I can do!
0: You can right. to you
1: right. know, and uh, to just really to share that um, that joy of making something really amazing. It's just such a such a great feeling to to do that, you know. I, I just. I, and i want other people to, f- to feel that
0: too well and i consider the book a gift to the world of um knitters um knitting because i mean really because i think knitters everywhere now can you know kind of take it up to the next level as far as making if you know how to make a sweater now that with the help of this book there's some great tips in here on how to make a sweater that's really fits you well mm-hmm. no matter what your body type is because that's the key, the sweaters I've made, look like sweaters I've made. And they're kind of baggy and not very flattering. And, you know, so it's – I think I can learn a lot from this, and I'm sure there are a lot of other people that are going to feel the same way. So, And they can have fun, too, because there's going to be some, you know, some lines in here that you will you – know, I laughed out loud a couple times just reading some of this stuff because it's really – I love the kind of the whole, you know, tongue-in-cheek approach you've taken to, okay. to this, you know. So um, if people don't take it too seriously – you know, <laughs>
1: yeah, no please don't take it too seriously, yeah, I don't
0: because <laughs> you're not you know telling me to shut up or anything during this interview. I mean, this has all been really fun, and yeah. you know, I think people are going to have a great time with it, and it's probably something to um i mean this would make an interesting, surprising gift, you know, if people haven't heard of the book and uh, even for maybe at the senior center, you know <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> like, get right. those ladies
0: talking, you know <laughs> you're right
1: you're right and and uh, and I admit that. At my uh, at the signing I did uh, last weekend, there were there were some ladies there that were a little older, and they were just as enthusiastic about it as the young ladies. Yeah, they were in in a couple of cases even more so. They were like just so excited to see something so fun and unusual, you know. And, yeah, uh,
0: well, they've been knitting a long time, and the, and the books just I mean, if you look at books like the vintage knitting books, I mean they weren't nearly as fun i mean there are some great patterns in there and you know you can adapt them but i mean this is really um taking it from you know you said you want to blow the doors off not your grandma's knitting i mean this is like kind of just you know you own knitting with this book you know and that's something that you know you've you've clearly discovered about yourself is that you have this ability to just create these things and you feel very confident and and very powerful when you when you do this. And to be able to try to harness that and explain it and and then give people the tools they need to, to do that for themselves is really pretty cool. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So I really appreciate your generosity of time today. Yeah, this is really yeah. great.
1: I'm, I'm glad I had an opportunity to talk with you. I've been been enjoying what you're doing on the, the podcast as well. Well, thank you. What you're doing is a, is a great service to the crafting community that you're kind of taking these people and making them human, you know, and showing us the human side or showing us, or maybe showing us a little, you know, insider insight into the industry or whatever it may be. You know, I think that's really that's really helpful service that you're providing.
0: Thank you so much. I I feel so privileged to get a chance to talk to all these cool people who are doing just fantastic things. So, yeah, if Maybe I could turn this into a thing. job, man, I couldn't. I I'd, I'd feel like i would gone. You know, I'd, I'm in some kind of um, euphoric state all the time, basically. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. I
1: think, and I think that's the thing about what we're what we're each doing. It's like, you know, yeah, I got a job and it's cool, and but you know, there's this thing I want to do. Yeah.
0: You know? And and
1: and the more. The more I do that thing, the more clarity I get about that thing. Right. You know, and, uh, and and it's just so it's so fulfilling to be able to do what you want to do instead of what someone else wants to make you do. You
0: exactly. Know? It's so. about control. We all want to control it. <laughs> <so. laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer. Oh.
1: Yeah, it was great talking to you.
0: We'll be in touch then, okay? You have a great okay. day. Talk Definitely. to you later. Bye. Bye. Thanks to Jennifer for being such a wonderful guest. Definitely visit her website, www.dominitrix.com. Let me spell that just to keep you guys out of sites that you might not want to see. www.d-o-m-i-k-n-i-t-r-i-x.com. Now that you've heard about her book, you'll get a chance to try out a pattern for free. The pattern is the String of Pearls pattern, which is the necklace patterns that Jennifer and I talked about during the interview they look fabulous and they're fun to make so hope you enjoy it I've been given permission to publish it for about 60 days if you haven't already, please uh, check out The Dominitrix, Whip Your Knitting Into Shape it's a great book if you don't have a copy yet I'm very pleased to be giving away a copy donated by the publisher Northlight Books thank you, thank you to Northlight Books just post a comment on the blog at craftsanity.com the deadline's Friday, May 25th, copy your comment into an email, send it to me, just include your mailing address, we have Abby randomly select a winner from all the names. Congratulations to Erica in Michigan, Abby, my now three-year-old daughter, randomly selected you as the winner of Get Your Crochet On, Hip Hats and Cool Caps and by Afia Ibomu, who I interviewed on the last episode of Craft Sanity, thanks to everyone who entered. The last thing I want to tell you is that I'm going to be having Amy Carroll back on the show. I interviewed her on episode, for episode 27 of the Craft Sanity podcast. She's got a new book out. She is the fantastic blogging woman who writes the Angry Chicken blog and also sells her art through King Pod. then also runs the Taiwan On Apron of the Month Club. She has this really great book that's coming out next month. Uh, it's going to be out in June. It's called Bend the Rules Sewing. It's the essential guide to a whole new way to sew. And I have an uncorrected proof with the black and white photos. And I have to say, even with the black and white photos, it looks fabulous. So I'm very excited to be talking to Amy about this book. just want to give you guys an opportunity to send any questions along to me. I'm going to interview her on May 26th. I hope you have a great week. And I'll be back soon with another interview. If you want to hear about my big race, stick around for the after show. In the meantime, Craft Sanity, my friends, it works for me. Thanks for listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast
1: with Jennifer Ackerman-Haywood. Visit Craftsanity.com for more information about today's guests and links to subscribing to the podcast. Want to support the show? Follow the link to vote for Craft Sanity on Podcast Alley once a month. You can also make a donation or buy goods at the Craft Sanity store. Have a suggestion for a future guest or have other feedback? Email Jennifer at CraftSanity.com. Thanks again for listening to Craft Sanity.
0: I made it to the end of the 25K. My time was 2 hours, 11 minutes, and 20 seconds. I was pretty sick going into it. Uh, had a sinus flare-up, trouble breathing out of my nose. <laughs> so I had to uh, go out and get... I get, went to the health food store and got some um, one of those neti pots that is like a nasal uh, saline. It uh, looks like a little genie's going to fly out of it. It's a little lantern-looking job. Oprah has endorsed this thing and said it worked. So um, of course, when I heard that, I thought, okay, if it's good enough for Oprah, then I'm sure it's going to work for me. And uh, I'm a big fan of Oprah's if I haven't mentioned that already. Anyway, uh, it was a pleasure to uh, have that work because I actually got to breathe, uh, loaded my pocket with some cough drops and away I went. The race was pretty cool uh, in the sense that um, there are so many people. There are thousands of people out there in Grand Rapids, Michigan, on Saturday, May 12th. And um, I was so happy to be a part of the group. So happy to be running again, because in January, for those of you who aren't aware of this, I uh, weighed 20 pounds heavier and uh, not in very good shape. I hadn't been running. I would sporadically swim a couple times a week, and but I wasn't doing anything to really... You know, get my health in order, and I was guzzling Pepsi like there was no tomorrow. So, um, made quite a lifestyle change since uh, the new year, and I'm keeping it going. And I'm actually getting into cycling now. I'm going to be doing a 100-mile um, ride coming up in a few weeks, and excited about that. Have some serious training to do um, beforehand, but I'm excited nonetheless. And um, looking to do a triathlon this summer or fall. I'm going to do some training for that. And I might do a marathon. There's a Grand Rapids marathon, and I, I might do one. Um figure you only live once, and, um, you know. Well, of course, it doesn't really make sense, because since we only live once, I mean, should we really be killing ourselves training for a marathon? I don't know. But I think that some of you out there understand what I'm talking about. There's something um, unbelievable when you work really hard for something, and it seems unattainable. It seems crazy, far-fetched. And when you achieve it, you're just kind of like rock on. So I had kind of one of those rock on moments at the end of this twenty five K because it's not it's something I've always wanted to do, but not something I was sure I could do. So it was really fabulous to cross the finish line and not be, you know, passing out or throwing up. I mean I was I was okay, you know. I did feel like garbage for about, you know, five hours afterwards when before I could get all my uh my sugar back up and, you know, start feeling like a human being again. Walking was very challenging the next day, I'm not going to lie. But um, would I do it again? Absolutely. I'll probably be there next year at the starting line, God willing, and uh, hopefully I'll go a little faster. So anyway, that's the story of uh, the 25K. And you know it was number 55 on my things to do before I die list. And uh, glad to cross that one off and uh, move on to some other goals. So okay, that's the scoop. And, again, I'll be back soon with another interview. I'm going to try my best to get that out in a week's time. And uh, I'm, gonna, I'm excited about doing some new interviews now. I've got to get back out there and uh, get back up to speed with the latest and greatest in the crafting world. So stay tuned for that. Send along any ideas you have, any suggestions. Send those to jennifer at craftsanity.com. And in the meantime, you all have a fabulous week.